Hey guys, Brad here. Are you a new investor or are you a seasoned investor that enjoys the podcast, but you just can't seem to wrap your head around notes and subject to creating wraps as well as the various other things that I talk about? There's one thing that I see that is really common with most real estate investors, especially wholesalers, and it's this. If you aren't creating notes, then you are leaving more money on the table than you are actually making. If you want to change this in your business, then reach out to me at brad at bradsmotherman.com. We are opening our apprentice program in just a few weeks. And in this program, we work together on deals, one-on-one, and we profit share in your local market. Are you ready to have a real mentor instead of just buying another course? Reach out to me, brad at bradsmotherman.com. Hey guys, wanted to give you guys a quick introduction to this episode. So my good friend, Jerry Ricky, he had been down to Huntsville to speak at a real estate investor association. So he was coming back up through Nashville and Jerry and I had done deals together in Pittsburgh. Well, my good friend and mentor, David Alexander, he said, Hey, if you guys are getting together, I'm going to fly in and we're going to have a, basically a two day mini mastermind. And, and so that's what we did. And so this episode was basically recorded at my office. We were just all sitting around the table and, and talking about the state of the real estate investing world. And then I kind of pushed them into, Hey, what's some of your craziest deals? So we're going to hear about that, especially the deal with Jerry, where he, with his leadership, was able to get a bank to make a very, very bad decision. So you're going to want to stick around for that. But the, the one thing that I want to say is this. I cannot overemphasize how important it is to spend time with people that are going to bring you up. And so for years, I've been around David and Jerry, and they've been a super big catalyst in, in my explosive growth in the real estate investing world. And it was just so much fun to have them here. You know, it's like they've never been to my office and it was kind of just like football homecoming or something. I'm not sure, but we just had a great time and, and it was just so much fun to be around them. So I actually clicked record without telling them. And then I think at some point they kind of realized that that I was recording because I'd set the, the mic in the middle of the table. So anyway, this is kind of a candid shot, snapshot into our conversations of, of what we're talking about when we're together. And I hope you enjoy it. I think you're going to like it. So, I mean, I think the problem with real estate investors now is that our People starting out, we'll call them real estate investors. They're, in fact, that's one of the, that's one of the deals. Everybody calls themselves a real estate investor. They're not real estate investors. You know, they want to play real estate investor, have the moniker real estate investor, but they're not real estate investors. They're, they're, they want to go out here and flip a deal or wholesale a deal and they, that makes them think they're a real estate investor. But as they're getting started out here and, and they're, they're doing it, um, nowadays it seems like more and more as more and more people come in, they just want to flip a house. And they're not looking behind that that house to see what's really happened. They're not finding out, you know, is there a problem that needs to be solved? Is there a need that they can feel? Um, you know, is that seller truly motivated? Because everything you do in this business starts with a motivated seller. You know, if you go out here and you just sign up a house and you're trying to flip it, and you're not really paying attention to motivation, you know, you're, you're missing out on, on the biggest deals, the best deals, because that motivation for somebody to get something done where you can solve their needs and make a profit is what is is paramount to this business. I mean, you have to be able to find motivated sellers. You know, I've got some of my people nowadays that they're, um, they'll bring deals to me and they'll start talking to me about the deal. And, you know, it used to be common when I talked to a seller, the first thing I'd start telling me about, they tell me about the, the peach trees in the backyard or the rose bush on the side of the house. And, and you got to listen to all that. You know, you got to listen to all their stories. They expect you to listen to them. And they're trying to sell you on the house before they got to what was really happening. Right. And, and now I have these these 
the people that I train, I talk to, they'll call and, and, and when they when they haven't figured out about the motivated seller part of me and that component, they'll call me up and they'll start trying to sell me on the peach trees in the backyard and how many square foot it is and oh my gosh, this house is beautiful. And I'm like, quit trying to sell me the damn house. You know, I mean, I, is, is the seller motivated? Can we make something work here? Because nine times out of 10, if a seller is motivated, you can put a deal together. But you have to dig to find out that motivation to figure out what's going on there. The thing you, you got to remember is there there are more wholesalers in the business right now than ever before. Yeah. Um, but what to survive, to be a real estate investor, wholesaling is not going to get it done. Once the market corrects, which it will, it's just a matter of time. It always does. It has since the history of real estate began. We'll always have corrections. The wholesalers are the first to go because you're going in, you're not trying to define what the problem is. And you're trying to, you're, you're going in almost wanting the house more than what that house can provide for you down the road mm -hmm. over the years. Um, I'm all about cash flow. And so I want to look at that property to see not what it can do 30 days from now, but within the next 30 years, 15 to 30 years, I want to see what that house can provide as far as income. Um, so when you do have the market correction, you're going to see all these wholesalers are going to be gone. Many of them. Yes. Many of them. The survivors are the ones that have focused on the cash flow, focused on the reason why that home is for sale right now, and identified a way to solve a problem and make money. And for me, it's money long term, not just yeah, had, over the next 30 days. Yeah, I had um, actually my bookkeeper, she pulled up house the other day. She was putting some of the deals in and she was going back through one of the deals and she said, Well, you, you've made 40000 on the house. I said, No, I didn't make 40000 I think I've only got like. Um, I think on that particular house I only had like fifteen thousand equity. Not very much. It was you know wasn't a big not a big payday for me. She goes she goes no. She goes you've had that house for eight years and you've made forty grand over on it <laughs> over the period of eight years. So I made five, forty on fifteen. Yeah yeah forty thousand <laughs> on fifteen. Oh, oh, yeah five thousand a year. You know that's a thirty percent return year after year, and it'll keep producing that for another fifteen years. Right. Um, um, it's a it's a note deal and. Um, and these people miss that. They, they just want to flip something. No, let, me, mm -hmm. let me flip something. You know, let me, let me get something under contract. And they don't learn their business. They don't learn their, their craft. They just want to jump in the horde, so to speak. And it all starts with that motivation. Well, you know, wholesalers and rehabbers, they're like uh, long lost cousins. And the fact that you're only as good as your last closing. Mm -hmm. You're only as good as your last closing. Mm -hmm. yeah. Where what we're doing in this room, it's a lot different because we have built up, like you just said, from years and years yeah. and years. And once that snowball begins to go downhill, I mean, we're not going down a, a small hill here. I mean, we're going down Everest. Yeah. You know, and it, who was it? Uh, Einstein said the, the most uh, uh, serious force in the universe is compounding interest. Yeah. Right. And you know, the wonder of the world. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that's what we're doing. Yeah. And, uh, and you're right. As, as, the, as, as you build up your cash flow, you have the lifestyle that you want. You don't have to. You have to worry about the other things. It's just, I see these people focused on this, like the next deal, the next deal, the next deal. It's like, ay, 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 ay. I was, I was very fortunate when I started this business. I, uh, from the get go, I came in wanting to build cash flow. I just, I guess I just got really, really lucky. Uh, probably because I didn't have any money and didn't have the money to rehab a property or to, yeah. to, to flip it off or whatever. I had to, I mean, I had to sell it and, and sell it quick to, make it produce cash flow or, or I was stuck. 
you know? Right, right. Yeah, the, the people that survive in this business are the ones that are going to figure out how to make money while they're sleeping. Yeah. Okay. Now, it, it's, you know, it's enticing. You know, you've got a property here that you might be able to make five, ten, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000, or you've got that same property that you might be able to figure out a way to make it produce a couple hundred dollars a month. Well, we figured out a way to do both. We yeah, figured out a way to get five, ten, fifteen thousand on the front end and stay in the deal. Yeah. And that's the key. So we're making those those nice wholesaler fees on the front end. Yeah. And we continue in the deal so that when we go on our cruises, when we go on our vacations, we come back to bank accounts that have filled up automatically. And that's where you need to get to survive in this business. Yeah, hundred percent. And I really feel bad for wholesalers because at least the rehabbers, you know. They're doing kind of the same business except for the construction. In other words, the wholesalers spending all the time marketing to find the deal. And that's where the money's made anyway, is finding the deal and getting that deal. Right. You know, whether you're wholesaling or rehabbing. But then the wholesaler turns around and says, okay, Mr. Rehabber, take this deal. I'll take five grand, even though I did the lion's share of the work to, to maintain that profit or to capture that profit. It's just yeah. like, good Lord, man. I, guys, I've, I've, and I talked about this on a, another episode. I had a wholesaler friend of mine call me. And I mean, they were doing a, between 100 and 200K in gross um, wholesale commissions each month. Okay. Um, and now they're in the red because their, mm -hmm. their marketing is not working like it used to. Um, it seems like the equity positions of people that were selling in some of these markets is kind of drying up because the ones that wanted to sell for a certain amount, they've already done so. And he's a little bit concerned, you know, and he's built up this conglomerate, you know, 18 or so staff people and 100. I don't know if it's quite a hundred now, but I know at one point he's doing a hundred K per month in marketing. And it's just like, good Lord, man. I mean, I do not want that position. Yeah. I am. Um, so the other day I was, I got drugged into a, a real estate meetup and it was a, it was kind of a wholesaler breeding ground, if you will. We get in there and so one of the wholesalers, they pop up and they're really giving the guy kudos. And, and he did like a, like, like 40 deals last year and yeah. made, you know, more than 250,000. I think it was closer to 300,000. It, it means good money by anybody's standards, but it, but my apprentices are sitting there. And they, they was, it was funny. They can appreciate that they're they're sitting there. And they're listening. They're sitting there thinking, "Good God, if we do what we're learning, you know, from from now how to how to do it now and keep it long term and oh yeah, keep producing income, you know, forty deals and we're done. Yeah, yeah we don't yeah. have to work out yet completely. We're out. And how many of those forty deals could that wholesaler have done correctly? Yeah, had he known, had he known, had he just had he just know how to tweak things just a little bit. So he can do the deals himself and go through the whole deal, and and and, and you know, forty deals for him was three hundred thousand. Forty deals in my world is one point two million. Oh yeah, you know, and, yeah. and, and that, the one point two million is ten thousand a month the rest of your life. But this poor guy is going to have to get up again this year and do forty deals again. Yeah, and then forty deals again, and forty deals again. The problem is that his lifestyle will probably increase substantially because he made so much money, and as his lifestyle increases. It gets harder for him. That's the trap. There's the trap. That's so the trap. he gets there next year, and if he can't do 40 deals again, he can only do 18. And, and and guys, I've had years where I've done three deals, and then I've had I've had years where I've done 50. You know, I mean, it just it it happens different. It 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 doesn't it doesn't always pan out, and you have to be able to weather that storm. I remember one particular I remember one particular time I went for nine months, and it just nothing would seem to gel right. Like, you know, ever, ever seller thought I was, you know, I had, a, I was the elephant man or something. I don't know what was going on, but uh, you know, I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't put a deal together and then let alone make my phone ring like it should. And then all of a sudden 
something opened up, and bam, I just started hitting them again left and right. You know, it changed, and, yeah. and everything happened, and all of a sudden, I started having $100,000 months again. But you're, uh, uh, you've got to be aware of that storm. And if right. you're just a wholesaler... Yeah, there's no way to do that. It reminds me of the, of the frog in the water. If you slowly turn the heat up, that frog's done. He's going to sit there until it's too late. Well, that's what I see happening with the wholesalers. They're making good money, okay? And what do Americans do? We increase our lifestyle. We increase our burn rate. So when the market corrects and all of a sudden, instead of doing two, three, four deals every month, now they're doing one or or the deals they get aren't closing within the 30 days. Now all of a sudden, that golden goose is not laying eggs anymore. And what's left? A boiling frog. Now, that's it. Yeah. Now that's what happened to me when I first started. I, I remember, okay, so when I very first started, I wanted to be in the note business. I wanted to own notes. And then somehow I got out of the note business and we started fixing every house. Then we'd flip some and then we'd, uh, we'd, we'd rent some out. We'd do different things because I was buying them too fast and I didn't know how to sell. You know, I thought I knew how to sell houses. And, and so in the beginning we started, I started collecting houses, but the problem was we were collecting houses and that that's exactly what happened. That burn rate, all of a sudden the turnaround time, when, when, when I first started buying them, you back then we didn't have FHA seasoning, none of that stuff. Yeah. So we could literally flip a house in 45 days, 30 days, as long as mm-hmm. it was long to get it done. Mm-hmm. Boom. It was in there, out of there. And, um, uh, so, so we could just turn them, but then all of a sudden it went from 30 days and then 60, and then 90, then 120. And and you get dependent on those cash pops. You get dependent on that crack. Right, right. And so we got dependent on that, that, that crack of those cash pops. And all of a sudden, when well, they're not coming as fast as we need, we had to adjust. And and if you can't adjust and you can't create a business model that works for that, you know, you have to have a business model that works, that, that constantly feeds you and builds your cash flow. And if you don't, you're, you're screwed. Right. What's the biggest mistake, David, you think you've made across your career? Biggest mistake I've made across my career? Three mistakes, actually. Three mistakes. Early on, I didn't learn how to sell houses. I mean, truly learn how to sell houses. I depended on the market to sell houses because I thought I was a genius. Yeah. So that was my early, my first mistake. I, I didn't, you know, started in 97. I didn't figure out that I didn't know how to sell houses until around 2001. And I didn't really figure out how to sell houses until 2003. Um, I thought I knew how to sell them, but most of that was market driven, not, right, right, not right. system driven. Um, so that was one. Um, the other is as I built my portfolios, as you know, I built portfolios and cratered them and built them and cratered them and, and whatnot. Otherwise, I wouldn't be sitting here still doing this. Um, as I built them up or whatever, I would say that I didn't deleverage um, some of my portfolio. Um, so like, like, like right now, I'm in the process of every deal I do for the next six months or so will go to a to a cash flow deleveraging stance where all that cash flow will be used to deleverage because I'm at a place now where my income's okay, but I need to deleverage. Mm-hmm. And so I'll, I'll, I'll deleverage some, some short-term money and then I want to deleverage that, and then I'll go after the long-term money. Yeah. And so, um, so that would be the, the next mistake. So you have to build up, set up a base, deleverage some, then go back again, build up, and then deleverage. So leverage, deleverage, leverage, deleverage, leverage, deleverage. And so that would be the other mistake. The other, the, the third one would be uh, I was good at leveraging people. Uh, uh, you know, before I ran my business, kind of like what you were, you were talking about earlier, where I ran and I had employees and I had a nut every month. Mm-hmm. 
And, and now I don't have that. I have people that more work with me. They're apprentices and they work with me. Um, I help them learn so they can get their learning curve faster, but it allows me to leverage my time. And I wish I would have figured out that leverage in the, you know, way back in the beginning. Cause if I would have figured that out, I would be a lot further ahead now. So would they, I mean, it's, you know, whereas my learning curve, I've been doing this for, for over 20 years now. And so, you know, ups and downs, ups and downs, ups and downs. But, you know, this time around when I build it up, you know, you would think, you know, I started when I was 30, you know, and uh, you would think that, hey, I should be done by now completely. But here I am rebuilding stuff, you know. Um, and so this time when I build it, I'm old enough now that, you know, I don't get it. I don't get another chance, really. I mean, uh, but I'm having fun. I'm having fun teaching others and doing it. So I would say the mistake of not leveraging other people in a way that didn't put a burden on my business. Yeah. In other words, building a building. So, so the apprentice program that, that I have that y'all, y'all, y'all have too, mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't put a burden on my business. It doesn't, it's not, it doesn't create a burn rate for me. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about craziest deals. Okay. So I know across in this room, who knows how many transactions we've done. Yeah. Um, yeah. What's the craziest deals that come to mind? Um, I've got to take a call, so I'm going to, I'm going to go first here with, with one that it was it was just kind of weird. I, the, the fellow called me, he saw one of my bandit signs, and uh, he said he wanted me to, to sell to buy his house and be a home in an area that was okay. It's an okay area, a decent area, um, uh, decent school system. But the, the homes in the area were selling between thirty and seventy thousand. So he called me up and and. Uh, he wanted to sell me the house around $35,000, which was a pretty decent deal until I, I kind of started digging a little bit and and um, found out uh, he was from the Pittsburgh area, he owned his home way about an hour and a half north of there and just, just didn't want it anymore, wanted to get rid of it. So um, we couldn't... Re- I, I couldn't see driving down there uh, for the, after talking to him about the property. There was quite a few updates that needed to be done. So I, I just kind of ended the conversation and, and moved on. Uh, he was he was at 35 or 38, I can't remember. And um, when I got off the phone with him, back then my phone, it still does, it rings pretty often, but I got on another call. And uh, as I'm on this other call, I hear another call trying to come in and I see his number come up and I couldn't. I couldn't get off the phone. I was deep in this conversation with another seller. So the the, the former seller that you just got off the phone with was calling was back. Was calling back again. Okay. Yeah. So he called back again, and um, so I, I I I didn't message him or anything. I just kept on focusing on the call call I was on. Well, then he called a second time, and then he called a third time, mm-hmm. and this call lasted about forty five, maybe fifty minutes, and he had called back three times already during that time. So um, I, I get off the phone and I, I, rather than calling him right back, I wanted to hear what he had to say. He left messages each time. So the first time he says, well, he says, I understand where you're coming from. I'll, I'll take 28 for the house. And uh, so they came from 35 to 28 like that. Okay. okay. Then I went to the second message and he says, well, you, you didn't get back to me and this is within, within 45 minutes, right? He says, you didn't get back to me. He goes, 20 is my final number. I'll, I'll, I'll go to 20. And um, I said, okay. So I'm, I'm thinking about it. And, and I see the third message. So I get on the third message. He goes, 
if you'll do 15 and you can close quickly, we'll, we'll get this done. We'll, we'll get this done quickly. So I get off, I get off listening to him and I, I told my wife, I says, come here, you got to hear this. So I turn on each one, you know, and she's like, call him back, call him back, call him back. And I'm like, no, he might call one more time. <laughs> so I'm waiting for the next negotiation. So we did end up, uh, I got the property for under contract for, I think, 11000 There was some work that needed to be done. I ended up giving him 3000 at closing, and the city wanted some things done to the property that I had to do for a couple thousand dollars. But, uh, but yeah, it was just kind of funny is my best negotiation skill was not answering that phone at the time yeah. when he was calling back, you know, but it's kind of kind of weird that way. Cool. Go so, ahead, so, so define craziest. I don't know, man. Just whatever comes to mind. Whatever comes to mind. I mean, maybe best profit, worst deal, craziest seller. Oh, God. Oh, my gosh. Who knows? Yeah. Um, so, it, like, man, there's easy deals. There's crazy deals. There's... You know, I, I think like some of the, the craziest stuff though has to be when when I first started. So uh, the the one that for me is the craziest, and, and I've talked about this before with other people, but when I first started, I you know I don't know what I'm doing. I have no idea. Uh, I'm green as green as green as green, and all I had was energy. And I remember going and looking at this dump of a house. I mean, dump. Like you know, today if I saw that same house, I wouldn't pay fifteen, eighteen thousand for it. Um, and, and I paid 40. <laughs> so, and that was 15 years ago. It was 15 years ago. I paid 40 for this house. It was a Jim Walters type house. So it was like the, the step up from mobile home sort of thing. It yeah. was a, um, Jim Walters house It's fallen down. It's on the good news is on three acres. It was a mobile home in back. And, but I'm negotiating with a seller that lives in Nevada. Mm-hmm. And so she lives in Nevada. She's got a problem. She's motivated. She wants to get it done. But, Price was an issue, and so um, I'm, I'm negotiating back and forth. I mean, at first you want fifty five thousand for it. Well, it needed fifteen twenty thousand in work, and it was worth sixty five total. Mm-hmm. Well, so she um, and, and it, well, the crazy thing was is that's when I, I kind of my sub three thing kind of started there, but I didn't realize it. Yeah, you know. So, so she's in Nevada and everything else. So we finally we agree on. Price and we agree on on forty thousand dollars. We'll be giving her five thousand now, a thirty five thousand dollar note, interest only for three years, and pay her off. And I had no idea. Remember, I have no money. Mm-hmm. I'm broke. I have no. I, I don't have five thousand dollars. You know, I don't know where I'm getting five thousand dollars from. So, so, so that deal, she she agrees to it. So I turn around and and back then, uh, you know, uh, uh, the only way to get stuff signed, you you, you send it by FedEx. So I turned around and I had a deed created and I, I sent her a deed by FedEx and had her sign it. This is where I bought it. This is where I give her any money. So she signs a deed, FedExes it back to me. I own the house. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I'm an unscrupulous character, you know, I right. own the house. Yeah. Yeah. So so she sends me the deed back and then I go proceed to sell it. So then I find a buyer uh, and, you know, not even a buyer that I would remotely take nowadays, but I find a buyer with $5,000 down. Well, sort of. <laughs> um, uh, thirty five hundred of it, I think it was. It was twenty five or thirty five hundred of it, and the rest was in payments. <laughs> uh-huh. So they had to pay off their down payment, you know. So they didn't have all their money. So I'm still, I still have a problem. I still, you know, um, it, it, you know, it was twenty five hundred. It was twenty five hundred, um, and then they were paying the other twenty five hundred, the five thousand down in payments. So sixty five thousand dollars sales price, and I was financing the rest. 
So I still don't have the 5,000 to give her yet. So uh, uh, so then I turn around and, and I get the other side of note at closing. And that was my first four-way in learning how to sell part of a note. Right. So I sold off the first two years of my note. And I still remember getting that that $10,168.53 check. I can still picture it to this day, you know, because that check back then was like the biggest check I'd ever seen in my life. Yeah. You know, and, and I, I literally didn't go to the bank for three days. You're afraid it wouldn't cash? I was afraid it wouldn't cash. I was afraid they, <laughs> I'm afraid they'd cut me down. They, yeah, they, they'd so say, this guy shouldn't have this you check. This guy shouldn't have this check. Something's wrong with, something's wrong with him. Or, right. They'd tell me no. Uh, you know, because you know, when you're, you're starting out, you don't know. You're, you're, you're afraid. You're, you're, it's the biggest thing I've ever had. So finally, I cashed the check and, and, and everything worked out. I sold the two years of the note on the front. I took the $2,500 and I moved the mobile home off the property, resold it. All in all, I made like close to, it was like, $35,000 over a period of three years of that deal. It ended up the people get, got them, they refinanced after a few years, paid her off. I picked it actually might be closer to 38,000, but it was, it was a nice deal, yeah. but it was what, what made it so crazy was just all the moving parts, you know, had to buy it, had to send a deed to her, had to send a note to her, had to have her FedEx and back, had to sell a note over here, had to find a buyer. He didn't have enough money down. And he, and during the middle of the deal, he filed bankruptcy. Oh, oh my really? God. Yes. He filed bankruptcy. And back then the good news was, is he worked through his bankruptcy and still was able to refinance. Wow. Yes. Yeah. So it was like this deal had all these moving parts and I still come out. Okay. So, you know, it's, it, it's, it's insane because you'll, you'll, you'll go through and you'll just, you'll think some of the, the worst things. I mean, you'll, you'll have some of the deals that you think are going to be your worst deals. They try to be your best. And some of your deals that you think are going to be your best and you you realize that you were just glad you didn't do them. Um, so yeah, it's, 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 it's totally insane. Um, what did that do to your confidence? So like once you were done with that, I mean, you had to have learned a lot. Uh, I learned that that seller was really, really motivated. I probably could have negotiated even a better deal, especially with the skills I have nowadays, Yeah, but, um, I want to negotiate a much better deal, but it, that seller was motivated and that's what made that deal work because she just needed to get something done. And and yeah, what I did in my confidence is, hey, I got this done. And and for me, it was all about getting an asset. And I had an asset because I had no net worth. I had, I had a negative net worth, you know. And and, um, and I, so I wanted to get assets in my asset column. And, right. and that's that's the key to this thing, getting assets in your asset column that produce cash flow. And, and so if you keep doing that, everything works out in the end, you know. It's just you got to have a little delayed gratification here and there. But yeah, that was – yeah, it was it – was, I think about I, that was that was crazy. I um because it was like I said, so many moving parts, and back then to I had to have those moving parts. In other words, I had to buy and sell and sell my note at closings when I first started. I had to do it. It was the only way to get a deal done. Right. You know, I it was so I learned early on that um, that if I could sell that note at closing or part of it, it would fund the cash to buy the to purchase the house. Right. And, 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 you know, that's sort of almost a lost art now. Yeah. You know, yeah. It, it's like, well, even the, some of the top owner financiers that I've talked to in the country, they don't understand partials. No. At all. No. Well, I had a, we were going to sell a partial the other day to a, a, an institution called us about a, um, about a, uh, about buying some of our notes. So we thought, well, you know what? We'll throw a note at them, see what they say. And so we said, well, we'll sell you a partial. So they turn around, and they come back with some partial, but, 
Now, I don't know if they don't understand the calculator or they're just really that greedy. But, you know, it came back at a 39% yield. And I'm like, no, thank you. I'll keep it. <laughs> I mean, if you're already, you know, uh, what, what's his name? Uh, 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 who's the one of the uh, richest guys? Uh, oh, my gosh. Insurance. Uh, Berkshire Hathaway. Yeah. You know, he's made his his life on getting a 28% return. Mm-hmm. So if you go giving away 39% returns. <laughs> yeah, you're going backwards. You're going backwards. Yeah. You know, I mean, so, but, but yeah, there's. Uh, man, there, yeah, there, there's there's so many different nuances to deals. There, I've had deals where I thought were going to be really good deals, and you know, I literally paid to make them go away. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've wrote, written checks to make them go away because sometimes, sometimes that's the best deal is is making something go away. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. especially a pain in the ass seller. Yeah, yeah. I had a. Uh, I'm trying to think of another cool deal I had. Probably the the like the coolest. Deal I had from the standpoint of uh, motivation was a seller I had one time. She drives down the road. She sees my bandit signs, and and but she didn't call me. Of course, um, I hear about the story afterwards. And she she said that when she saw like the third or the fifth bandit sign, it was a sign from God. She knew I was going to buy her house that day, and so she it was on a Sunday. So she calls me on a Sunday. And she says, "I need you to come out and look my house. You're going to buy my house." So she got in her head already. I was going to buy my house. So she'd already done all the work. <laughs> so I come out there and this house is immaculate. I mean, immaculate. There's nothing wrong with it. And I said, why don't you just list it? You don't need me. Yeah. And I'm literally trying to talk her out. Yeah, yeah we've done it too. Yeah. And, and, and she says, no, I'm done. We're moving to the retirement home 10 days from now. We want $4,000 and to buy beds and furniture for the retirement home. And that's it. We're done. We've already offered this to our family. Nobody wants it. We're done. You know, you got to deal with an IRS lien and a few other things, but we're done. Ooh, IRS lien. Yeah, yeah. And so you you know you know those mean profit, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. So but but um, so anyway, I, we 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 did the deal, and of course I had to negotiate the four thousand dollars. You know, I had to <laughs> turn around and say, okay, well, can I give you some now, some later? Can I give you two thousand down, two thousand later, and, and they said, well, yeah. Yeah, okay, they agreed to it. But then, of course, when we got to closing about six, seven days later, I could hold Tyler with the heels. My business partner looks at me, kind of rolls her eyes, you know, like, give them their, give them their money, you know, give their damn money, give their $4,000, David. Quit this, you know, this is a good deal. Write on the check. <laughs> Don't be a jerk. So I rolled the check. So, um, uh, so we gave them their money and they went on and, and we went on. We sold that deal. We made, yeah, it was another 30000 plus profit deal. Yeah. It was just, um, yeah, it's it's weird. I'll tell you, let me tell you about the easiest deal I ever did. Okay, that sounds good. Yeah, let me tell you the easiest deal I ever did. In fact, I don't even know if you know about this. You may, but I don't know. So the easiest deal I ever did was a note buy. Um, uh, the seller, I mean, the, the note holder had moved out of town. And I knew the note holder had moved out of town. I don't want to be out of town, out of country. And he owned this note. It was a like a $40,000 note that wasn't due for three years. So no income for three years, just a $40,000 note. He gets paid sometime. So I got an option to buy that note for 30,000 for the next 90 days, knowing that the house was fixing to cash out. <laughs> and so I filed my option. And then the title company calls me up and says, uh, you know, Mr. Alexander, what do you want to do with your option? Uh, exercise at the time of close <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> with the proceeds from the sale. 
exercise option and outfit fell $10,000. So how much was your option fee? Uh, probably $10. Probably 10 bucks. So yeah. 10 bucks to 10,000. Yeah. 10 bucks. To, yeah. And that's real estate for you, man. That's real estate. That's, yeah. 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 I've never, in fact, I hear these people nowadays and that's, that's another thing. I hear these people nowadays talking about, you know, they're, they're putting thousand dollar earnest money on things and $500 earnest money on things. And, you know, I've never done that. I, I put a thousand dollar earnest money once on a $1.2 million mobile home park. Mm-hmm. But other than that, I've never written over. No, I take it back. That's a lie. Uh, no, no, I've never written over $10. I've never written over $10 in the uh, earnest money deal. And, and, but and usually that doesn't transfer hands because they turn around and say, well, what about this? Well, you can give me the $10 if you want or, you know, but usually I just let it slide, you know, because it doesn't matter which way it goes. Right. But now I did have a house I was buying one time and it was a federal judge. So we wrote the contract up, went to make copies. I did pull $10 in my pocket that time and hand him the $10. And he goes, consideration. But I wasn't letting him get out of the deal because I was, I was, man, I was stealing that house, you know? Yeah. I was buying a $120,000 house for, for $40,000. Yeah. So it's, it's funny. We, we talk about banks and notes and loans and things like that. Um, I, I was working on a property in my backyard and um, I had a uh, there was a, an old uh, note. It was non-performing that a bank owned and they weren't doing anything with this note. It was just sitting there on the property. Well, I had taken the property subject to and um, we had someone that was going to buy it, decide to move out. That was one of the few areas in my areas that we were seeing some appreciation. And I had quite a bit of equity buried in there. Um, but part of it was if I could get rid of the second mortgage on yeah. the property. So I, I called the bank and I, I, I said, hey, um, you know, I want to buy this non-performing second that you have on this property. And um, they said, oh, you know, that's great. You know, what could you give us for it? And of course, we started about two, three cents on the dollar, right? And uh, so I, I made my offer and she calls me back and she says, no, you know, we need to, it was, it was a, uh, there was a $28,000 old mortgage that should have been wiped out, wasn't. And then there was this uh, 10 or $11,000 mortgage. So, um, and in the meantime, we're rehabbing this property. Well, we got a contract on it real quick. So the bank calls me back and they says, well, we can't take two cents on a dollar, but if you give us $5,000, then we can, we can go ahead and, and sell you this non-performing second. And it's like, yeah, that's, that's not going to happen. So I upped my offer to five cents because I knew that I had a closing in like 60 days. It was going to happen. And, uh, they came back and said, nope, the best we can do is 50%. It's like, okay, so I'm, that's not working, right? So a crazy person, they do the same thing over and over and over again and expect different results. So I thought, okay, I got to go about this a different route. So, um, and we were just over the phone, you know, talking over the phone and I was using my company name. So this time I said, okay, um, I, I sent a letter to the bank and I said, I'm the owner of this property. The previous owner is not involved in this and you're clouding my title with a second mortgage. (laughs) And I need to get this taken care of immediately. Here is the release of mortgage. Have your officer sign it and get it back to me immediately. And we got it back in three days. (laughs) So... The old mortgage went away. Uh, the second mortgage that was a, a problem, that one, that one was like 28000 So 
in in a, a two and a half day, three day time, I created another over $38,000 on that check that finally hit my bank account, which so it was, that's our banks and their, their thinking philosophy, but they would have got something, but this way they got nothing. Well, you asked, you didn't make them. That's right. That's right. If you don't ask. Yeah, that's right. It's not going to so, happen. So I got another one for you. <laughs> so some of my best deals are trade deals, trade deals. When you can, when you can line up two houses together, and and so, so you're buying a house, but then you trade them a house. Yes, I've done that too. Life is good. Mm-hmm. So one of my best deals was I negotiated a house for $42,000 cash. Now, the house was worth one hundred and thirty rehabbed. Um, I sold that house. I ended up selling it. That one ended up selling for cash for $68,000. But they need to buy another house. So they were getting their 42000 and I happen to have a double line for sale. So I'm buying their house at a discount, and I have a double line for sale that I'm picking up for, uh, picked up for like 70 and the goal I'm selling for ninety nine nine. And I've already got a long list of people wanting to buy this double line. So I got people wanting to put 15 down, 10 down, 20 down, all sorts of stuff. So I tell them, hey, you know, you're going to have to put 20 down. So they got to put 20 down. So so basically I trade them air. So half that 42,000, 20 of it goes away because making them put 20 down mm-hmm. on this right. double wide. Right. So they're putting money down in air. So now they're going to owe me 80 <laughs> wrapped around 70, but I only have to come up with 22 cash. Right. <laughs> those are some of the best deals you'll ever do. Or those those trade deals. Mm-hmm. I love those deals. Yeah. Well, real quick, because we're about out of time. But, okay. Um, one of our craziest deals, we had a guy call us. He had inherited a house, and he didn't want it. So this was from a radio app. And as you guys know, because both of you guys have done radio, mm-hmm. is that the negotiation frames a little bit different. So that if they've heard your voice on the radio, they think you're some real estate rock star. Mm-hmm. Well, well, he has a face for radio, so. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we go and we buy this thing for rough figures. I think we buy it for 120 with 20K down and about and at 0% on the balance. Okay. okay. Well, about two or three, maybe three or four weeks later, he calls us and he says, well, guys, I've, I've gone through... Uh, my cash, but I need you to owner finance me a house. So he owner financed us a house at 0% interest and we owner financed him a house at 7.9. And so right now there's no payment to him because he didn't have a down payment on mine. And then the payment to us uh, is in default. And what I did is my promissory note to him is cross collateralized in the deed of trust with the house that, that he bought from us. Perfect. So now, I mean, not only is he going to lose this house, which I hate for him. We don't, I hate foreclosing. I, I know you guys do too, mm-hmm. but it's like, we're, we're going to have to foreclose on this house. And whenever he loses that, the only way that I would sell him this house, because I think he's kind of a, I don't, what, what do we even call this guy? Like he, he, he's something else, uh, is if he included in the, uh, the cross collateralization, my promissory note to him. So he, he will end up losing both. Oh, wow. So, wow. I don't know. All right, guys. Enjoyed it. That was fun. That yeah. was fun. <laughs> Sorry I had to jump out for a, for a minute there, but uh, it was a good time. Wow. Can you guys believe those deals? And can you guys believe that the bank, just based on Jerry's behest, 
uh, released a lien on the property and took zero as opposed to what Jerry was offering based on the situation. I mean, and that goes to show you, you know, everybody's scared of these banks, but most of them, we have a saying within our group and and to to my banker friends and, and audience, I very sincerely apologize. But based on our experience, okay, of these kinds of things happening, we have a, a saying in our group that says, there's no brains in the four walls of a bank. All right. Uh, again, I apologize to my my banker friends, but guys, wow, what an interesting story. And those deals are crazy. And if you get into this business and you're going to have things like that happen, if you stay in this business long enough. So, all right, guys, hope you enjoyed and I'll catch you next time. Happy investing. 